Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the I Can Hear Music podcast. On this week's episode, I was lucky enough to sit down with musician slash author John Stebbins. Besides being a musician from the late 70s and early 80s, John is also an author that has written two books about members of the Beach Boys, one being The Real Beach Boy, where he talks about uh, Dennis Wilson's life and career, and the other being about David Marks, where he talks about his life and career. I was lucky enough to catch up with John on the phone and record our conversation, so I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode with John Stebbins. I just kind of want to start. So, you are you from Los Angeles originally? No, I'm actually from uh, a town called Livermore. That's in the Bay Area. Oh, I used to live in San, I used to live in San Francisco, so I'm familiar with okay. that, with that area up there. And so, what what brought you down to Los Angeles? You were in a band originally, right? Yeah. So I grew up in Livermore, um, and uh, moved to LA in 1978 to um, you know try to get into the music business basically um i was uh, i was about 19 years old at that point and um i had a, a friend that grew up with me we'd had bands all through school together various personnel but the two of us stayed together wrote songs together and um he, he, we were both guitar players and singers and and um he and i moved together to la in 78 and at that point, we recruited a couple more guys from our hometown. One was his brother, who was our drummer, and uh, then another guy was a bass player. And we had a band called The Point from uh, yep. about 1979 until about 85, I guess, was when we were active. And uh, we put out some indie records and played the uh, club circuit in in L.A., you know, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty hardcore for four or five years. And... Um, I think, you know, looking back on it, at the time it was also dramatic, you know, but <laughs> looking back on it, I think we did pretty well, actually, coming from a small town and just kind of flinging ourselves at L.A. at a time when uh, the music business was kind of receding, actually. You know, disco was really what was happening, and people, you know, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> post-punk hadn't really happened yet, and punk had never been commercial, and it was, you know, so it was really hard to get traction, um, we were like um, kind of a psychedelic pop band. Um, kind of, we kind of were maybe a hybrid of like something like the Ramones and the Who or something. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of a, um, but maybe a little bit more, you know, Beatlesque and pop kind of stuff. So, what was funny though is that eventually there, a little scene popped up in LA called the Paisley Underground, which had a lot of bands that played the same kind of music as us so that was interesting we went from feeling like uh we were alone in our sort of aesthetic to feeling like wow there's there's actually a scene of other bands that are similar in Uh our aesthetic so um, that's you know a lot of bands like the dream syndicate and the rain parade that type of thing came out of that and the the bangles were one that became commercial that were mm-hmm. sort of in, in that scene as well and um, we uh, you know we did we did our, our run I think by the time I was about 27 or so I felt like it was kind of a glass ceiling and I wasn't really yeah. 
it wasn't it wasn't as much fun and it didn't feel like it was really going anywhere so I sort of pulled out of it at that point sort of retired <laughs> at 27 <laughs> from the music scene so and um, you know uh, kind of reset at that point I really wasn't sure what I was going to do since I'd skipped school yeah you know yeah. hadn't hadn't gone to college or anything so it, it was you know it was it's kind of rough kind of my identity was gone for mm-hmm. a while and I didn't really know what I was going to do but I knew that I didn't have whatever stamina was required to hang in there in the music business but mm-hmm. um looking back you know it we did we did okay we got you know we had a got airplay in LA and K-Rock and uh-huh. that kind of thing and um had a record that was got a European distribution deal and our record came out in in France and Italy and and um you know, all in all, you know, people still remember us, you know, mm-hmm. in kind of a very cultish, small way, but um, we, um, you know, we, we did okay, I think, for what, you know, yeah. for the time and for uh, what was going on with us, so. Where would you So work? I never really, I wasn't really into writing or anything at that point. I was gotcha. into writing music, but I wasn't really into writing, you know, anything. Yeah related to pop music but i was always really a student a student of of rock and roll and and um you know kind of detail-oriented person anyway so mm-hmm. my maybe it's you know obsessive compulsive i don't know i like i like to know <laughs> yeah I, I kind of believe me i understand that definitely <laughs> <laughs> i was always the guy that that people ask like well who you know me, too, me i'm that person player in that band or, exactly you know, i'm the same way i'm the same way and there's a lot of us around that you know yeah are similar in that way um and um i actually met a lot of the people that i ended up you know mm-hmm. that ended up kind of coming up through the business in different ways back then you know because i worked at a record label i worked at rhino oh yeah records uh, the the uh, the label not the store yeah, yeah. um and um, they had a they had a um, a sister company that was called Sounds Good Imports, and they were all housed. You know, we all worked in this, under the same roof, so I worked with all the Rhino people. Okay. So I, I met Andrew Sandoval and Bill Inglot and and Dominic Priori, and you know, not to mention all the people in the Beach Boys or in the Beach Boys world back then. I met I met all those people during that time that I was playing in my band. So. Really. Um, yeah. I th- where would you, where would, where were the shows taking place? Would you do a lot in West Hollywood or were they kind of all over the place? Yeah, all, all over the West side. And uh-huh. then, you know, we would stray down into the Long Beach area or, or whatever sometimes. And, and even up into San Francisco and played some shows at like the Blue Hay Gardens That's and cool. stuff. But mainly the gigs that were coming around, you know, twice a month or three times a month were like Madame Wants West and the Central, which um, is, which became the Viper Room. Oh, okay, got gotcha. um, And, um, you know, like uh, Gazzari's and the Club Lingerie and the Music Machine, which is in West LA and, and um, Club 88, it was kind of a punk club on the West Side and, a lot of shows in Santa Monica, like the Londoner Blue, Blue Lagoon Saloon and that type of thing. And then we played Madame Wong's 
Chinatown and Hong Kong Cafe and but yeah, all those clubs we just played. We, you know, between eighty and eighty four, probably we played, mm-hmm. and even in the valley, sometimes we played every just about every club. <laughs> you know that you could think of. So when when that time. so when you stopped when the when your band broke up, what what made you finally decide to start writing every to start writing? Uh, it was quite a it was quite a while actually. Um, I I I went sort to work at. At record stores, you know, because uh-huh. I'm a big collector and and um, you know into that whole thing, um, music, you know, vinyl and music memorabilia and stuff. So, so I had been after I worked for the record labels and stuff. Um, I had transitioned into working at record stores and worked at a store in uh, Huntington Beach, and then. But actually, I worked out with the other guitar player from my band, which was interesting. It's like we broke up, but we didn't really break up. And, uh, we were still kind of together. We we're yeah. still actually, we we're still actually kind of making music together, but just not in front of anybody. Yeah. And um, he kind of he was more serious, I think, or more committed to. His name is Tom Alford. He's a known guy. He's he's done solo albums since, but he mm. he was more into. Like a lifelong commitment to music, um, making music, writing music, uh, performing music. Then maybe I was. I I I took my shot. I felt good about it, and I kind of wanted to move on to other stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I wasn't really sure what it was, but I knew it wasn't going to be doing that. And so yeah, I worked in record stores and ended up um, managed a big record store in the valley for. A little while, like, and we're talking, we're talking like 86, 87 mm-hmm. at this point. And um, then I uh, moved, met my current wife in 87 uh, at that apartment that you can mm-hmm. see in the yeah. Beach Boys Good Vibrations video, which uh-huh. just blows my mind because <laughs> of what ended up happening with me, you know? Yeah. It's like, it, it's, it, uh, there's so much circular connection to all of this stuff of course yeah. i mean i could go on and on about it but you wouldn't you wouldn't believe like some of the people i met back then and dealt with back then that i ended up that ended up becoming serious you know um connections and mm-hmm. influences and important people in my life later on when i started writing so um it uh, but i kind of i kind of removed myself from from the LA thing in '87 and '88, so so to speak, and then went um, moved to the Central Coast. My wife was going to college at Cal Poly uh, San Luis Obispo, and I would come to visit her, and then go back to LA and come to visit her, and and we end, and I ended up talking myself into just staying, and <laughs> like why do, why am I even going back to LA? Yeah. I can do that. What I'm doing in LA here, and it's so much nicer. And so we're still here. We ended up getting married in um, the mid-90s, so we lived together for quite a long time, and then mid-90s we lived together, uh, mid-90s we got married, and we had a couple kids, and raised, you know, a couple kids, and lived here on the Central Coast ever since, mm-hmm. but I go back to L.A. for business and, and whatnot, um, and um, I really started thinking seriously about writing in um, about 96, 97, mm-hmm. right around the time my first child was born. Um, 
I started I, 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 ha- I started just like writing out some little little um, one page sort of synopsis about you know with ideas about well you know what, what should I write about you know mm-hmm. I guess the reason I thought I could write was because I, I had I had occasionally done some record reviews and band bios and things you know mm-hmm. yeah. like in Goldmine and you know okay uh, you know, smaller publications, indie publications, and and some local stuff. And so I'd, I'd done just a little bit of writing for um, you know music-related things, and I, people kept telling me, "Wow, you're you know you're a really good writer. You mm-hmm. should you know you should write a book uh-huh. or something you know more serious, or write some articles and and whatever you know." And, and I started thinking seriously about well, what would I what would interest me enough to stay with it you know mm-hmm. and the the magical moment was i i had thought about writing about like john lennon and then i realized that there's like you know 65 john <laughs> lennon books yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and then i thought about because i mean I, I, he really interested me oh yeah, well, and yeah. then i another person who really interested me was brian jones of the oh, Stones. So there uh-huh. wasn't at that point you know in the mid 90s there wasn't a, there wasn't 15 Brian Jones books, mm-hmm. you know, there might've, might've been one. There probably wasn't even one at that point. And so, um, so that had my attention. I, I knew that would be a really good story. And, and so I, um, I started, you know, doing a, just a little bit of work on the Brian Jones thing. And then I thought just naturally, I don't understand this person because he grew up in Cheltenham you know, England. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't, you know, I didn't have this, this, just this sort of basic fundamental understanding of that person's life. I would have to learn, yeah. re- sort of learn so much about him. And so that gave me the thought of, well, who grew up in a place similar to me that that's interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that's what led me to Dennis because I knew Dennis grew up around cars and the, the, the mm-hmm. ocean and, yeah in a suburban neighborhood and, you know, mm-hmm. played sports and whatnot. And, and I, you know, it's like the American graffiti sort of <laughs> yeah. existence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, that's what I grew up in. Yeah. And I, and I really knew just instinctively that Dennis and I had similar, you know, he's, he's quite a bit older than me, mm-hmm. but you know, the culture, the cultural, connection was close enough that I I felt like I could understand Dennis on a on a different kind of level and I had met Dennis and spent a little time with Dennis and mm-hmm. I was always like such a big fan of Pacific Ocean oh, Blue that's, and, a, that's such a good that's an amazing and, album such a good yeah, album and so you know I, I had come upon that whole experience like in real time you know when it came out mm-hmm. and and um and so that was a that was a really important record to me, and it, it and it had held up. But still, in '95, Dennis was generally thought of as the least talented member of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of the general vibe out there at yeah. that point. I Which mean, I know it's hard to truth, believe yeah. now, but if you go back, that's really what it was yeah. at that point. I knew that was so wrong. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, um, you know, he he uh, he had, what he had achieved. But the solo album was, you know, was something really significant and important, and ha- went, really hadn't been 
it's kind of celebrated in it for a minute in its moment when it came out, mm. but it had kind of disappeared, you know? Yeah. Well, he was going to so, go on tour with it, right? So I, I, I hit upon Dennis Wilson, and then that was just like, you know, the big big light bulb went off. What was what was your question? Uh, he was going to actually tour with that album, right, when it first came out? Yeah. And then it got, yes. I think I actually probably learned that from maybe your book, actually. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that until later oh. myself, you know, and at the time I would have had no clue. I guess maybe there might have been some blurb in the press that uh-huh. had said that, but as far as like all the drama that was happening behind all that, I had no idea. In fact, when I met Dennis, which was September of 78, I had no idea you know how much you know he was deteriorating and how, what kind of problems he was having yeah none of that was known at the time yeah um and so when i saw him up close you know mm-hmm. i mean when i was standing two feet away from him i felt like oh my god man this guy looks like shit you know? <laughs> yeah um, yeah was that was that insane? you know because it didn't sh- it, it hadn't really showed up in yeah. pictures that much yet of course know? yeah I'm not totally like, yeah, and I looked at his, just his eyes and his, his face and stuff, and it, and it was it was a little bit, it was actually a little bit shocking. Yeah. Um, to be meeting, you know, this if I had like made a list of like three or four people that I wish I could meet. Yeah. Uh, he would have been he would have been in that two two or three or four people, and yeah. so that to to be actually meeting him was mm-hmm. was mind blowing and shocking at the same time mm-hmm. and uh and so that it's funny because that's the first that's how i found out about you actually was i don't know if it was probably around like 2000 i got uh, 2001 or 2002 i was on i think i don't know if it was amazon where it was but i found uh i found that book the real beach boy and i bought it and i loved it that's that helped me learn a lot more about dennis wilson so that was kind of i wanted to learn more and when I found that book, that was kind of a way into me learning a lot more about his life. And then I got into his, you know, that's where I found out about Pacific Ocean Blue and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot, I think that, you know, I mean, not to blow my own, <laughs> own horn too loud, but I think that, that a lot of people discovered that Dennis was something, you know, more mm-hmm. uh, through that book. Um, I just wanted to write a book that I would like. Yeah, that's course, kind of yeah. how I went about writing it. It's like if I was like looking through a, a rack of books, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, which one would I grab? Because I really wanted to learn more about that, yeah. that subject, and and so that's how I I sort of wrote it for myself. And um, it wasn't hard to get published or anything. It was it, mm-hmm. it turned out to be pretty easy for me, um, which isn't what I had been told everyone had told me that's going to be excruciating and you know yeah. you're going to have all this rejection and, and stuff but you know kind of similar to my, my band experience which mm-hmm. was kind of kind of excruciating as well um, but it, it, it turned out to not the excruciation came later <laughs> in other ways you know? it, it came, it's like the book the book came out Nicely, you know, uh-huh. it was a, a nice birth, and it came out, and it, and it was accepted, and and that was all pretty cool. So, how hard was it? Well, I don't know if it was hard, but how was it difficult to get all the people to do interviews and everything for the book? Uh, I guess it's. 
right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was right in the process of mm-hmm. of uh, reaching out to people, mm-hmm. and, and and Carl is somebody that I really wanted because I knew I knew from the research I had done that Carl was Dennis's biggest advocate yeah. in the band, and mm-hmm. somebody who who you know he would probably love the idea of somebody writing a book of about course, Dennis's yeah. music. You know, I'm sure the other stuff he'd probably rather have him yeah. avoid, but. Yeah. But I think the idea of someone um, celebrating Dennis's music would have appealed to him, um, and uh, that's kind of what I was most interested in, in any way myself. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the rest of it is all fascinating as well. Yeah. And I feel like I always felt like if you left it out, mm-hmm. you know, then you're not really getting a sense of the person yeah, of and why his music was so intense. Of his course. music was intense because the darkness that was surrounding him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was disappointing, but it's funny. Now we go, we go back to my band mate, Tom Alford, mm-hmm. who I said that, you know, we broke up, but we didn't really break up. <laughs> yeah. um, we're kind of like almost like an old married couple. <laughs> we go through all these fights and stuff, but, <laughs> but he was in the process of recording his first solo album. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he had Earl Mankey um, recording it. So mm-hmm. Earl Mankey was one of the guys who recorded Pacific Ocean Blue. Okay. So it was just, and you know, I don't know if you know who Earl Mankey is. He was in Sparks. Um, he's, he's kind of a known musician mm-hmm. and producer. And he's, he, he's, he also did recorded some of the Paisley bands from oh. around oh, really? the time I was um, making music. So anyway, so through Tom, I got Earl Mankey's uh, contact info. So, mm-hmm. so that was the first person I talked to. And he, you know, it was basically, we just talked about Dennis's making, making that record. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was pretty, uh, there was a lot of revelations in that. Yeah. Um, from Earl, you know, just mm-hmm. like, he was really adamant. And I find, you know, I find this when I talk to a, a, a lot of the other people who worked with Dennis in the studio, mm-hmm. what a hard worker Dennis, you know, t- just emphasizing over and over again, you know, you think of Dennis as this wild guy who missed shows and seemed like maybe he didn't take a lot of things seriously, but when he was making music, he was really committed to it. And, and Earl would just, you know, t- told me Dennis outworked everybody, you mm-hmm. know, he stayed longer, he, he worked harder on, on, you know, his stuff than anybody and um and that he had this innate sense of knowing what he wanted to get out you know Mm -hmm. like having it having a some spiritual inner vision of the sounds and how he wanted to put them together and and how he wanted to to make his record sound and all of this kind of stuff and and um and so that's that you know that was an interesting thread to follow you know was, was it dennis as being like a that's you know sort of a studio cat you know yeah yeah um and um and then you know subsequently talking to the other guys like john hamlin and jim gersio mm-hmm. and the other people who had worked daryl dragon and yeah, yeah, these people that had worked with dennis uh they they all kind of had the same the same take like he was way more talented than he even knew, you know, yeah, that, he, that he, similar to Brian in that yeah. there was, a, there was something coming through him 
that was coming. He didn't know where it was coming from, but mm-hmm. it was flowing through him from somewhere, some spiritual kind of thing that uh, that came out in his music, and, and he he pursued it with just you know such a passion. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And so yeah, it, it, that that was easy getting that interview, and then it just snowballed. I just met people and. Uh, I, I had a friend. Uh, I met Alan Boyd. That was oh, a good one. Yeah. I met other Dennis Wilson fans um, mm-hmm. that steered me to where I should go. And then um, I went to the first Carl Wilson Memorial mm-hmm. event at the Roxy, which is in the end of '98. Uh-huh. Um, and Billy Hinchy put on this big show. You know, I mean, it was it was really there were there were a lot of subsequent ones, but the the first one at the Roxy was just really yes. special when everybody came out for Carl, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's just everybody was there. It was it, it, you know it, any, it, so I so I had backstage and press access uh-huh. to this thing, and I showed up early in the day when they were sound checking mm-hmm. and. Everybody was there, just everybody okay. in that whole world. Dennis's kids were there. Dennis's nice. wives, ex-wives were there. Uh-huh. You know, Carl's exes were there, and Carl's kids, and um, Al Jardine was there, uh-huh. um, and Karen Lamb was there, and Jim oh, Garcia okay. was there. Wow! So I approached. You know, those were two really, really important people to tell that yeah. story. So I, I approached Karen Lamb and Jim Garcia at that event. And they were both extremely supportive. In fact, they both like said the same thing to me. You are, you are, you know, you are on it. This is yeah. this, somebody needs to be on this, and the fact that you're on it means, you know, uh-huh. you're, this is going to be a good thing. Garcia okay. said, you know, whatever you want, call me. You know, mm-hmm. talk about his music, talk about him. Just keep keep at it because. I think that a book about Dennis needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it. And That's Karen cool. was that way too. Um, spending time with her was a little crazy and I, wild. And I, I, there was <laughs> a couple moments where I felt like Dennis was probably laughing at me <laughs> to have ended up in a car in a rainstorm with with this crazy, you know, mm-hmm. crazy uh, ex-wife who... <laughs> I felt like it was probably, you know, almost going to kill me, you know. <laughs> um, I really did feel Dennis, like, laughing, you know, see what you've gotten yourself into. Yeah, like, yeah. A few times in that, in that <laughs> whole experience. That's really cool. Ed Roach. Ed Roach. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, a big one. And and I think the last person, actually, that I found and got a hold of was maybe, maybe the most difficult to find was uh, Greg Jacobson. Really? Yeah. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't high profile at that time at gotcha, all. He was, gotcha. he was like living up in a, in a tiny town in Oregon, and nobody really? had talked to him in years. Really? Yeah. So, so that I mean, that's that's a really great story, and that's really great that you got to do that with the book because the book is great. I mean, I love that book; it's really, really good, and it really does give you a sense of who he was as a person and, and everything like that. So, it's a really great book. Um, Thank you. Of course. And after you're done, what made you decide to write the book, um, The Lost Beach Boy? Well, I had met David um, at the book launch for the Dennis book, He Can. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So I, I had a, a book launch in 
Santa Monica Shay J's, which is the bar Dennis hung out can, at you know, the, I, the Santa Monica Pier. Can I tell you something? Uh, that that bar has become one sorry? of my, I'm so sorry. I gotta tell you that that place has become one of my favorite places. I go there every time. <laughs> Every time I go to Santa Monica, I immediately go there. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So you're 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 aware of the, the Shay J's vibe. Of, of course. Yeah, I love that. Place. It really felt like you know had to feel like Dennis was still there and like his it's, vibe was still there. It definitely still has his vibe. It seems you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of the old timers remember him. Of course. Yeah. And the you know at that time the staff still even though that was. 2000 and then he had died in 83 it was most of the people that were working there knew him mm-hmm. um and you know jay uh who owned the bar was like you know he, he knew dennis really well and mm-hmm. so they were they were supportive of me actually having that event there they thought it was appropriate mm-hmm. some of the family thought it was a little bit wrong because dennis had such a bad drinking problem yeah. and yeah. that you know here i am having his thing at a bar but oh, they yeah. got over it yeah uh, so anyway, when I had this event in April of 2000, it really turned into like a, a thing because Brian had played the Roxy. The, I think the, the the book launch was on a Sunday, I believe, and I think Brian had played the Roxy on Friday and Saturday. Oh, and that was that. You know, that's the one that the, the album came out from. Yeah, that's that's with the Wonderments he played. That's that's they're on that show, right, with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I went down there with a couple friends. I think Mark London did a flyer or a poster for me. And um, people were, you know, as people came out of Brian's show, I would just say, Dennis Wilson. And <laughs> people, like, look at me and I'd hand them a flyer. <laughs> Dennis Wilson. Or, or, I'd, or I'd say it like, Dennis Wilson. You know, kind of like, uh-huh. you know, the alternative Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had I got a lot of, response from that a lot mm-hmm. a lot of people um you know it's just it was just perfect timing it just it created a buzz in la for this thing and everybody showed up at this at this uh, book launch um, mm-hmm. and I, I mean i think i sold i mean the book was already out in the stores for like a week mm-hmm. and some people were showing up with the book already in their hands but i also had books there for sale and i think i sold um, like three cases of books, whatever. I don't know. I, I can't remember how many came in a case, uh-huh. but, but you know, it wow. sold probably 150 books or That's something, great. maybe at yeah. this time or more. And um, you know, all the people like from you know, like Darian from the Wonderments came, and mm-hmm. Dominic Priori came, and oh, gotcha. Marilyn Wilson came, and Barbara Wilson came, mm-hmm. and Dennis's kids came. Um, Steve Kalinich was there. You know, it was just like. Whoa! I can't believe that. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I knew some of these people through interviews and on the phone, mm-hmm. and I really, you know, did not know these people yet. Like I would get to know them intimately, but of course, um, yeah. I just felt like it just was crazy how how it just took off like that. Yeah. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, David Marks walks in. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which just is like. I can't, you know, I can't believe, you know, yeah. this guy even. And so Dominic had told him about it. Oh, that's so cool. And, um, and yeah, so I headed off with Dave, you know, just immediately. And then he read, my, he read the book. 
Oh, the what? Yo, you did. I think I don't think he had read it before this thing. I think he just came out of goodwill for Dennis. You know, yeah. but David David is really close to Dennis and their kids. Uh-huh. And so um, he took the book home and read it and called me and said, "Man, he goes, if you can make Dennis look this good, I want you to write my book." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, he, he said he, he he basically said you're a genius. You know, he said you 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 know, people are always saying Brian's a genius, but you know what? You're a genius because <laughs> no one no one can make Dennis look this good except for you. And so you know, we were joked, joked around about that a lot. But then he um, they actually uh, you know were were um, very positive about it and. I was trying to write a book about Shay at that time, so I was kind of busy with this other project, gotcha. which was still ended up being stillborn, and I, it came out eventually in a very limited way. But okay. but um, it, at the time, I thought it was going to be something bigger, and I was pursuing that, and so I kind of said today, "Well, you know, maybe we can talk about that down the line or whatever." And then, then the whole Shay J's thing, the project got ugly, and I didn't, you know, I needed to to drop it mm-hmm. for the time being and move to something else. And so um, I think it was about 2003 or so, I, I saw Dave again in LA at something at the Roxy, mm-hmm. at some event that he was playing at. And we started talking about it again. And I said, yeah, the only thing that's, that you know really is keeping me from working on your book is that I can't afford to because you know I'm basically broke. Yeah. And so, they um, helped me out, you know, like gave me a little bit of an advance, mm-hmm. and um, I started working on this book, I think, in 2004, and then um, we and then we ended up getting a publishing deal through Virgin Books, mm-hmm. which, you know, the book came out in England, and we promoted, you know, came out there first, and we went over there together and promoted it, and it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's great. You know, my only fear was that his story wasn't going to be as good as I thought it was going to be. It turned out to be so much better. Yeah, it's a very good story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just so much better than I thought it would be. mm -hmm. And and his music was so much better than I thought it would be as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, so that, you know, that gave me everything I needed, you know. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 first of all, I knew his story was super interesting and there was a lot of mystery around it and mm-hmm. so that part of it I had no doubt that part was going to be great but to to make him a sympathetic character there needed to be some talent there yeah and, of course you know he uh, it, it, and, it, and it ended up when I ended up dissecting the, the genesis of the Beach Boys there was so much there that I didn't know mm-hmm. uh, that you know regarding him yeah of and and so I knew he was more than what people said, but on the other hand, I didn't know he was as much as he was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's, he was there, you know, he, he was there before the Beach Boys were the Beach Boys. You know, he was, yeah, he was playing music with them and watching that whole thing evolve mm-hmm. with the, you know, bird's eye view and, and interacting with those characters and people and then became a participant in it as they rose. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, wow, what a fantastic story, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then he turns out to be this killer musician. He has a good guitar, very good guitar player. He's... 
Yeah, which I didn't I didn't really know. Nobody knew yeah. at the time. But he went, played on all this other stuff. He'd done yeah. all the session work, you know, he'd gone He went to Berkeley to school right? and yeah. learned his craft and um and actually had, you know, some pretty in, incredible credits on his own. And then, you know, even the stuff, the David and Marksman stuff he had did, some of it is really cool, really mm-hmm. cool in its own way, you know. Yeah. And it, you know, it just didn't ever penetrate. For some reason, the, the Beach Boys world just wrote him off and didn't, didn't ever uh, think of him as anything more than just a sort of the guy who showed up on picture day at Paradise <laughs> Cove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so... That was fun. That was fun telling his story. In fact, I like that book better than Dennis's book, even so, though yeah. it, it, it didn't quite have it, you know as much success. But it was really successful in its own way, and and I really like I really like that book. Let me ask you this: uh, I actually met David maybe I don't know three weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so at a uh, show because I was doing a podcast with uh, the bass player for the Surf City All Stars. And he had okay. mentioned, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. I said okay. Oh, okay, sorry. And he had mentioned that you were maybe going to update the book. Yes, yes, we are. We're working on it. We've been working on it. Uh, both books. I'm, I'm updating the Dennis book too. Oh, which really? Has been like five five years of 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 stop stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. Um, but David's book, you know, ends in 2004 at the when they erected the. California the monument um, monument for the Beach Boys yeah and um, so much has happened since then yeah, that's exactly what he said to me too that's exactly what he said yeah and so so it needs to be it really needs to be updated because it's sort of like everything that you know everything that you wish that would happen happened That's the end of this week's episode of the I Can Hear Music podcast. To find out more about John Stebbins, go to his website at thejohnstebbins.com. That's T-H-E-J-O-N-S-T-E-B-B-I-N-S.com. And to also find out more about me, go to my website at www.icanhearmusicpod.com.